0: You can learn more about seeking integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com now let's get started hey everybody i'm so really glad you're here today as i always am welcome to the podcast i am here with a colleague a friend and someone i really admire in terms of the work that he's doing for his generation as i think stuff i did when i was his age um i'm talking to gabe deem and gabe is a leader on reboot nation and let me read you a little bit about him and you might find his his uh i think his cv is his bio is not what you typically hear on uh, on a a job interview so here we go captivated by porn online as a child gabe constantly watched pleasurable high-speed internet porn from age 12 growing up growing up in a time in a culture where watching porn was normative he had no idea what he thought uh what he thought was pleasurable fun and sex positive could actually have a negative effect on him As time went by, his ability to become aroused with real women decreased, and eventually he became dependent on porn and developed porn-induced erectile dysfunction, or PIED, at age 23. After recovering from addiction, uh, from his own addictive issues and porn-induced uh, sexual dysfunction, he spent the last uh, years studying science's research on porn's effects and now runs RebootNation.org, a free online community with over 11,000 members, which helps addicts and partners overcome problems related to porn use. With a passion for assisting others in raising awareness, Gabe has started an educational YouTube channel, The Re- Reboot Nation, which has amassed over a million viewers. And by the way, folks, if you're interested in having Gabe speak, you're involved with a college or an organization or a clinical organization, Gabe is going to tell you a little later on how you can reach him. So welcome, Gabe.
1: Thanks for having me, Rob. Nice to be here.
0: Well, as you stated before we started, we've met before. And, you know, I I don't meet usually people at therapy conferences who aren't therapists or who aren't just there to, you know, to learn from therapists, but you seem to sort of hang out at therapy conferences. So what's the deal with that,
1: Well, I try to, I try to, uh, you know, early on in my recovery, I wanted to get as educated as possible on the topic. And I, you know, thought, no better way to do that than to go straight to the source of those who were leading the discussion. And so, you know, I've been to a few of your presentations. I've listened to Donald Hilton. I've listened to Gary Wilson and anyone that was speaking to the neuroscience of porn's effects and what it may or may not be doing to the youthful generation. And so uh, that's kind of been part of my passion is to uh, get in the conversation, meet some of you guys and gals and, uh, you know, have those conversations and make the connections so that I can um, share my story and raise awareness to help the future generation.
0: And what is it that you think people are sort of connecting to in your work? What do you think that they're, I mean, I know for myself, but what do you think would be the thing that would make someone say, Oh yeah, I got to get on that side, or I got to get in touch with that guy, or I got to like, what kinds of things are people initially showing up with and they're like, when they're clueless?
1: I think the main thing that people are drawn to about uh, what I'm saying, or what uh, other guys like Noah Church, or even the material that Gary Wilson's putting forth, um, I think they're connecting to the just practical information uh, that we didn't have growing up. And that is mm. that uh, a stimulus like internet porn, if chronically used all through our le- uh, adolescence, can actually you know shape our sexuality or influence our sexuality. And um, when it's articulated in a really simple way, a lot of these young guys for the first time ever are able to see how their porn use has affected them.
0: So people are coming to you, to your site, to, you know, and, and what's the average age of somebody who's showing up?
1: Uh, I would say 20. Uh, m- the majority of the members or the viewers that I get are anywhere from 18 to 25. We have all ages, but that's the majority.
0: And all male?
1: No, no, no. There's definitely a uh, growing percentage of females that are on the uh, forum.
0: Now that's, that's meaningful, I think, because I know that there are women who struggle with porn. And I think when we typically think of it, we, you know, we think of a guy sneaking off of a magazine or a guy hooking up with something online, but women are struggling too. And they're trying to find their place, you know, and, and I would ask you, this is completely just crossed my mind as I'm asking it. Do you feel that women have, you know, it, it, on a majority male site, do you think that women get their needs met or do you think they would be better served? Or do you like split them out into do they have their own space on the site? Or how do you right. support women and not getting caught up with guys who haven't had sex with a woman? <laughs> Suddenly talking to a woman who's never had sex with a guy? I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, but Right.
1: I I do think their I I think their needs are met. I do have a separate section for females. Um, A a lot of times they'll have, you know, some different variables that they want to discuss and relate to each other. Um, But for the most part, you know, it's, it's everyone together, really diverse community. That's the beautiful thing about it is all sexualities, all socioeconomic backgrounds, everyone comes together on just the, you know, common ground of what, uh, their internet porn use has done to them. So everyone can get helped on the forums from what I've seen, regardless of where you're coming from in life.
0: And what you're talking about really is the the essence of AA, you know, which is that, you know, we come together because of our common problem, mm-hmm. not because you're rich and I'm poor, or I have these beliefs or those beliefs, but I can't stop drinking and neither can you. And nothing could be more. I mean, and so in that way, what you're saying is when you bring people together, it's, it's weird, right? You'd think that, When you bring people together of a common problem, they would just come up, end up worse. (laughs) But actually when you bring people together common problem, they are really motivated to support each other, and there's they don't have the shame, right?
1: Yeah, it's not so much the blind leading the blind as it is <laughs> uh, the the informed and educated leading the uninformed and uneducated. So, uh, myself and guys like Noah Church, we we've spent a couple years reading as much material as we could on the topic, and also recovering ourselves. And so we kind of take our experience and wisdom that we've gained, and kind of show the younger guys what worked and what didn't work for us. And that's actually how I started recovering. I found an anonymous forum online where guys were using pseudonyms, you know, no one had put a name to the problem yet publicly and they were just sharing their stories of what worked for them and how they recovered their sexual function and how they overcame their addiction and the insights that they gave me not only gave me hope but also information that i could you know practically apply to my situation and so that's really all i'm trying to do uh, is just publicly do the same thing but now i'm putting my name and face out there and raising as much awareness around the the problem as possible
0: do you feel that and and i i ask you this from uh, the the perspective of being an addict, and I would feel probably answer this question differently than you. I don't know. But do you feel like you're still a porn addict, or do you still have this problem, even though it's not active in your life?
1: Yeah, I know I know a lot of people say once an addict, always an addict, and that's definitely uh, you know a thing a lot of people ascribe to, but I don't consider myself an addict anymore. Right. I consider myself recovered, and I feel that way because I no longer am drawn to porn. I've been able to successfully stay away for several years, and I also have regained my sexual function back. So I know it can be about semantics, but I myself uh, don't call myself an addict anymore. No,
0: I don't think it is about semantics, Gabe. I think that, that people are addicts struggle with something all of their lives. Mm-hmm. And You know, part of it has to do with, and and I was talking to this with Noah uh, Church and folks, if you didn't listen to the Noah Church episode, it's really, really, he's different than Gabe, different take, different experience, different guy, but really fascinating conversation. You know, what one of the things that struck me about talking to Noah and you as well, and uh, is the age at which you experienced porn, because Mm -hmm. as a professional, you know, as a forget my sex addiction history. As a therapist, you know, if someone is a parent and they said, you know, I think my kid might start looking at porn, you know, what age do you think it would be okay if if I wanted to make it okay? And some families do. If I wanted to have it be okay in our home that my kid looked at porn, what would be the age at which would be the youngest that that would even be acceptable? And for and not cause damage or harm. And I would say, you know, well, it depends on the kid and how, you know, where they are in their development, because some kids at 15 are very young, right. and some kids are 15 or older. But, you know, by the time a kid is 16 or 17, pretty much, I don't think that your average kid is going to be harmed by occasionally looking at porn is my yeah. sort of professional opinion. And I really f- believe that I don't think that your sexuality is pretty much formed by. By the time you're out of puberty and a couple of years into your adolescence, 16, 17, your sexuality is pretty formed. You're not going to be, I mean, just I know, you're not going to develop a fetish at that age. You know, you're t- it's too late. You're not going to probably come up with any new, weird, or unusually bizarre things that you're into. They're already pretty much set in your brain. But what I noticed about talking to you and to Noah is that Noah started looking porn at nine. Mm-hmm. And you started looking important at 12. And so, and there is no human being that I would say that that's acceptable for in under any circumstances. So I guess one of my questions is, cause I really don't know, do you feel like, or see that a lot of the, I'm talking about men now, guys on the site tend to be men who got drawn in early, like, you know, either prepubescent or very early in their adolescence, as opposed to, you know, late teens getting ready to graduate high school kind of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say the vast majority of guys, especially that develop, you know, youthful sexual dysfunctions, were yes. all exposed uh, at a very early age. I actually started watching internet porn at twelve, but I was looking at porn since age eight as well. And yeah, that's definitely a common factor. Uh, you know, as our sexuality is developing, we're our, our our sexuality is forming in the arousal template in our brain, and that was during those years we were wiring it chronically to yes. internet porn. Yes.
0: So, so the reason I ask this, and I think this is so helpful, I mean, you don't know how helpful this is, but it is incredibly helpful, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm a sex addiction specialist, you know, that's what I do, and I want to understand, uh, deeply want to understand what it is that you guys are struggling with, because you're going to walk into our offices, not everyone's going to end up on a website, and you're going to say to some 45-year-old therapist, you know, I got this problem, and they're not going to have a clue. And even if they have a clue, they're going to say, oh, is this sex addiction? Well, it may not be. You know, sex addiction is a chronic long-term issue that usually has come about pre-verbal like mm-hmm. with abuse and neglect and emotional damage before the age of
1: four right there's there's usually some kind of abuse or trauma aspect of it
0: and then when someone comes out of that let's say they get in recovery they go to therapy they still struggle with intimacy they still struggle with sex they still tr- struggle with addiction all of their lives mm-hmm. and that's because the damage emotional and intimacy and relationship damage that they had was very very early it was you know before they when they were very little baby or young child yeah but you guys and i'm guessing have what i would call more of a conditioned response to porn meaning that that was your first and primary source of arousal and it became the only one and it became the dedicated Mm -hmm. one and that was sex for you was porn for years and years and years so you're conditioned like your norm if i'm getting this right is a very high level of continuous sexual imagery that never ends, which can be changed into any, morphed into any, changed into any. In other words, your first experience wasn't holding a hand or, you know, walking down the street with someone or getting a kiss or maybe seeing a sexy scene in some movie. Your primary early experience repeatedly for years and years and years was the kind of stuff that 40-year-old men look at.
1: Right, yeah, we we definitely emphasize when we talk to young guys about it or when I give a presentation the sexual conditioning aspect of porn. so yeah, that that conditioned word is really important.
0: Can you talk more about that? What are you teaching them? What are you telling them?
1: So so typically what helped me the most is what I pre- cover in my presentations, and that's the uh, the neuroscience behind porn addiction and also the neuroscience behind sexual conditioning. And so uh, when we look at the arousal template in the brain, there's been studies of uh, rats that have been conditioned things such as uh, cadaverine, which is the smell of rotting flesh, you know, normal you know. normal rats uh, will not uh, go around a stank, nasty female that's sprayed with cadaverine. They'll you know they'll hide in the corner. But the, these researchers had the rats mate together, and the newly conditioned rats that uh, had sexual intercourse with the females that were sprayed with this scent actually showed signs after that fact of arousal. They would chew on right. toys that were sprayed with it, and so this was just a little insight on in how you can condition the arousal template um, even subconsciously to where you don't even know it to be turned on by things that once originally repulsed you and so for my you know for my history looking back at my porn use I escalated into things that I once considered repulsive mm-hmm. you know sometimes after a masturbation session I'd be like what in the world did I just watch what the mm-hmm. hell's wrong with me mm-hmm. um, but after understanding the neuroscience of how anything that creates anxiety shock fear uh, maybe something that's taboo anything like that can actually Heighten the neurochemical cocktail in mm-hmm. your brain and um, increase arousal, and that also strengthens the uh, the neuroadaptivity or the plasticity and wire that reward. To arousal. And so um, that kind of can show you how you can escalate into different genres and stuff. So when I cover this to, you know, teenagers or college students, that's basically how I present it um, from a neurological perspective, a physiological rewiring of the brain. And I explain how sensitization happens, which is, you know, learning a uh, supernormal stimulus as a reward right, and how the brain can d- develop a tolerance or become numbed, which is uh, desensitization is how the neuroscientists would call it. and uh, I just walk through the addiction-related brain changes and keep it strictly focused on, you know, a rewiring of the brain.
0: Yeah, I call this cheesecake theory. <laughs> you know, if you fed me cheesecake every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a year or two, I don't think that I'd be very interested in a hamburger, as yummy as they are. Or I just broccoli. Mean, well, well, forget <laughs> the broccoli, you know. And, yeah, that's and not that, even a thought. And that really, by the way, everything you're saying really goes along with everything we understand about human sexual development. Right. Because fetishes, people who have really difficult issues with, let's say, leather or panties, or you know, they they have object-driven arousal, that tends to show up or begin to be developed somewhere between nine and 11. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm guessing there are also some people in your community who've been looking at things that are really odd or unusual that have now become part of what turned them on. Absolutely. And that disturbs them a lot, like you said.
1: Right. Yeah. And if they don't have any education on the fact that that genre that they're watching actually might not be a part of their innate sexuality, that it could have been an early exposure during their formative years, Mm -hmm. then um, that's like a profound epiphany for them. And they're like, Oh my gosh, you know, maybe, maybe that's why I don't feel right watching what I'm watching, regardless of what that is. Um, Obviously, I never talk about specific, you know, sexual orientations, I think everyone should be able to make their own choices, and everyone's attracted to what they're innately attracted to. But the, the knowledge of the potential of uh, rewiring your reward circuit at a young age is something that I think everyone should know of. And then you can make informed decisions of where you want to steer your own sexuality.
0: Hey there, I sure hope you're enjoying this sex, love and addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, seeking integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747 234 4325. Gabe, you're amazing. I really mean that because you are not what I thought you would be. And I don't know you well at all, but there's a tendency for people when they're young to be, what's the word for it? Um, evangelistic. Like all porn is bad. This is terrible for you. No. Every young man, no young man should look at, you know, the Gail Dines approach.
1: I'm glad you, you, you see that because I try not to say blanket statements and I don't even consider myself anti-porn in the least. I consider myself pro-education. And I think once you're educated on the, potential negative effects, then you can make whatever choice you want regarding your own porn use. I myself, you know, pursued pleasure to the utmost degree. I consider myself a hedonist, if you will. And I found out that, you know, my pursuit of internet porn actually ended up taking from me the one thing I thought it would give me, which is more sexual pleasure. Um, And I'm not saying that's (laughs) going to happen to everybody, but I am saying that everyone should be aware of the potential for that to happen so they can know the red flags. And this
0: is why I think, and, and it if anybody's listening, Gabe gets my stamp of approval and that doesn't come easily. Because what he's saying is, you know, I would say this about alcohol. It's like, you know, most people drink. Alcohol has been a social lubricant and a part of our culture since Bible days, biblical days. You know, it's a part of how we bond and our social relationships. There's nothing wrong with alcohol. It's just, if you're in the percentage of people who get caught up with alcohol in a way that's problematic for you, or you have a tendency to, alcohol is bad for you. And so- it's the same with porn. You know, Gabe and I aren't saying that porn is bad or it's wrong. But if you are looking at too much of it at too early of an age, it becomes your go-to behavior. Or if you are like uh, like a sex addict, more using it as a form of escape or self-soothing, right? then you're avoiding life and you're not showing up for your own life. And the porn is not fun. It becomes
1: destructive. And this brings up a good point, Rob, that, you know, a lot of People have preconceived notions, deep preconceived notions on anyone that would speak up about any kind of negative effect of porn use. Or sex. And and that, yeah, or sex. And that's what actually, you know, as I was a 23 year old with a limp penis and I was reading these forums and I was watching the mainstream debate, paying close attention. I've always been a pretty opinionated, outgoing, confident guy. And I was sitting here reading these articles, painting anyone that's speaking up about uh, the negative effects of porn as some. Kind of prude, super moralistic, like you said, evangelical, like all porn is bad, anti porn crusader. And that is not at all who I am, and that it's not at all these thousands of young guys on the forum, many who are atheists. I mean, Alexander Rhodes, who started NoFap, is atheist. Uh, Gary Wilson, yourbrainonporn.com, is atheist. And here they are getting painted as some kind of moralistic crusader. And so I decided to actually speak up and go public strictly for that reason. I was following Mm. Psychology Today which mm-hmm. I know is a website that you frequently blog for.
0: Let me say something about Psychology Day. Yeah. The print magazine is very much involved with ASEC, the American Society for, uh, what is it, the the sexual education Sexual education and counselors. Yeah. And they're very anti-sex addiction. So because the primary writers for the magazine are anti-sex addiction, you see in Psychology Day all these pro-porn articles. I saw an article, I have to say, made me insane just since we're jumping mm-hmm. on the bandwagon. If you're a wife who objects to how much porn your husband's looking at, you're probably a prude. Oh my gosh. And yeah, I thought, it's ridiculous. And so the problem with Psychology Day is in the print magazine is there's no room for discussion.
1: Well, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about in mainstream media. They aren't open to the reality of porn addiction even being mm-hmm. a real thing. And that is just completely against what neuroscience is showing. It,
0: it blows my mind, Gabe. I am a top five blogger. I can get up to 100,000 reads if I write something about cheating. But if I put the word sex addiction in my blog, I'm asked to, to remove it. It's not allowed. I can't put it in psychology. I can't write about Like I was going to put an interview up with you on psychology day on my blog. I, I'm not allowed to.
1: Let me ask you this. Do you think that now that the ICD-11 is going to acknowledge the reality of porn addiction being a real thing, even though they don't necessarily use the word addiction, they use compulsive sexual behavior disorder. Do you think that now that it is diagnosable? that they will allow you to cover Do you
0: mean that, do I think that people who have really strong egos and are fighting for their (laughs) point of view and absolutely are determined to be right are going to say, you know, maybe we should compromise or negotiate? No. Okay, so you're a realist. I've already heard the I've already heard it, which is oh good, we were right. It's not sex addiction; it's compulsivity. So we were right all along.
1: Right, but what they what they don't acknowledge is that the DSM nor the ICD 11 ever used the word addiction. They always use disorder. So it's
0: it's you know when we talk about opioid addiction, you know, and the opiate addiction in America, well the 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 common person doesn't know that the word addiction doesn't exist in clinical literature anymore. Exactly. With substance use disorder, but how much do we hear about huge substance use disorder? a problem with opioids in our nation we don't because it's only people in ivory towers who use ivory tower language
1: right and so
0: no alcoholic is going to walk in a meeting and say hi i'm joe and i'm a substance use disorder person and nobody is going to walk into a meeting and i mean by the way there is sexual compulsives anonymous i want to say that was my first program so and they are still exist so there but you know i think that you know and my goal has always been to bring people together that is really what i'm about like (laughs) my goal is i think the sexual health people and the sexual offender people and the sexual compulsive, we should all be working together I mean, Absolutely. we are we are all facing a common issue on a continuum of of human behavior. But unfortunately, here's a thought for you. Those of us who have sexual issues sometimes end up in the field and people with sexual issues often have ego issues. (laughs) I've noticed. Anyway, therapists can be imperfect. So uh, anyway, are people going to want to keep arguing? Yes, they're going to want to keep arguing. What matters to me is that you're getting it right because you're the one that your generation is listening to and you do get it right. You're not saying to them, this is a sin, this is wrong, this is bad, which is not helpful to them. It just creates more shame. And you're not saying to them, you know, you're broken and you're psychologically damaged and you're going to need help all your life, which, you know, is not likely their truth.
1: I consider my message very empowering. I'm not saying you're broken like you just said. I'm saying that you've been conditioned and rewired yeah. and the brain can change. Neuroplasticity is alive and well your entire life. And that's a very empowering message because then they know, okay, I have the information, I have the education, and I know that I'm capable of regaining my sexuality and you know steering myself for a healthy sex life, re- whatever that may be. And so once they have that information, they can go. And it's it's such a hopeful message. It's not shaming. It's all education and it's all hope.
0: Well, that's what they that's what people need. I mean, er, er, if you walk in to any place with a, a shameful problem and you hear people talking about getting better, that's hope. And uh, you know, you are offering it to them. You know, one of the problems Gabe and you and I are going to have to talk about this is that the 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 field that I work in mental health, which is all PhDs, all LCSWs, all ML- LMFTs, all of us, we don't understand sex addiction for the most part. I mean, and sex addiction in the way that I've been talking about it for the last 30 years. And then there's a whole new generation that's come along with a similar problem that is not the same, Mm -hmm. that requires a different evaluation and a different plan for treatment. And I think that, you know, if you and I have a singular mission, it would be to help the mental health community understand that there are two populations with two different issues that require different forms of treatment.
1: Right. So are you are you familiar with Paula Hall and the idea of opportunity addiction? Because that's-
0: Paula is a righteous, good friend of mine.
1: So that's kind of where, that's, that's what I like to just raise awareness of. And I agree. I think that we all, so my passion is talking to people like yourself so I can help you also help other people. I think both of us can help each other help other yes. people. And I think that's, like you said, bringing everyone together that have a mutual goal of making the world a better place. At the end of the day, that's what, that's, what we're trying to do and so one of the things that i'm passionate about talking about is part of this new generation doesn't have the necessary, necessary classical addiction where there's maybe some kind of abuse or trauma that drove them to use porn or maybe shame that drove them to use porn. I myself never had any shame around my sexuality. I consider myself very lucky. I had a loving, supportive environment. Mm-hmm. Um, my friends and I gladly and openly watch porn together all as far as I can remember. And um, we didn't have that shameful environment. You'll see that a lot in this uh, younger generation. Or we, in we,
0: highly conservative religious or where you get a lot of shameful for sexuality.
1: Right. And and I'm in the Bible Belt and I'm down here in Texas. And we still, you know, even though a lot of our environment was a more quote unquote conservative environment, we still didn't have any shame around our porn use. And we were told from a lot of mainstream media. I remember when I was a little kid, I would stay up like 10 years old watching this thing called Sunday Night Sex Show. I forget. I think Sue Johansson was her name, maybe. But, anyways, I was getting, you know, information that porn was sex positive strictly. You know, there was never any possible negative effect of porn use. So I was 10 years old years old, learning about anal sex, learning about deep throat, yeah. learning about all these but things. No, yeah,
0: that's just not okay.
1: It's not. And especially if it's not countered with any potential negative effects, you know, like a- again, it's not to say that people can't have a positive experience or maybe even learn something new from porn. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But what I am saying is that every young person needs to know of the potential negative effects. And so what you've seen happen, uh, I know in my case, and I know in thousands of others, we just had unlimited access to a supernormal stimulus. Right. We chronically used it all through our adolescence. And by the
0: time and your parents were clueless or not smart enough or not tech enough, yeah. or whatever it right, they just weren't thinking about it.
1: Exactly. And no fault of their own. They right. were completely blindsided by it, as everybody was, because mm-hmm. this blew up on the scene so fast. Um, so yeah, we our chronic use through adolescence led to what I – I would call in what I've seen other therapists call it opportunity addiction, where we rewired our brain. We've sensitized our brain and we've desensitized our brain uh, because of our porn use. And that mm-hmm. led to uh, either addiction or sexual dysfunction with real partners. Our drive for pixels on a screen increased and our drive for real life partners decreased over time, leading to problems.
0: And I have great fear going ahead because I've done some virtual reality cam girl kind of experiences, not with, not for sex, but for to experience it, to understand it. And uh, in other words, I w- the cam person wasn't having sex, but they were showing me what it was like to be loving and warm mm-hmm. with a virtual reality headset on. And then I was facing a woman who was five inches from my face. You know, how who gets that close to you, right? right? The minute I put the headset on, she was right there, warm, loving, sweet. So glad to see you. Come on into the room. And if you have, you know, cyber dildonic equipment, she can pull on your thing, and then she's touching mm-hmm. you. And I, I, I worry, you think you have a problem now, i'm really worried because i've experienced you know this isn't like vr gaming this is like that person is with you Mm -hmm. and if you've never even had an experience of being with a person Um, only looking at that may, it may be very, it's going to be very hard for some people to get out of.
1: Right. So I experienced that to some degree whenever I developed porn-induced erectile dysfunction. So Mm -hmm. a little bit about my story, you know, I started, you know, chronically watching internet porn at 12 years old. Um, but I also became sexually active at 14, which is another very important variable to my story. Mm -hmm. I was having real sex all through my teenage years, Mm -hmm. uh, with partners that I considered very attractive. Mm -hmm. And, um, When I was 23 years old, it took several years for a problem to develop. I eventually needed and was dependent on porn to get an erection, even Uh if I tried to masturbate without without porn. I couldn't even masturbate without porn. And this
0: is not Noah Church's story, right? Because he was a virgin. So this is a exactly. great comparison.
1: Which is another reason I wanted to speak up because, uh, you know, the the common misconception is that a porn addict is a 40-year-old virgin is shut right. in, his mom, in his mom's basement. And that's exactly the opposite of what I was. I was always outgoing, social. Uh-huh. I was an athlete. I always had a real girlfriend since uh, I was like seven years old. I never turned to porn for a lack of any kind of sexual release. Or sexual relationship. I turned to porn because I told I was told it was awesome. I thought it was awesome, right. and it eventually led to a problem that I did not even know existed. And so, when I realized I couldn't have sex with a beautiful girl I considered extremely attractive, and then when I re- when I tried to do what we call the porn induced ED test, which this is really important. So, um, as a young guy, you know, you should be able to masturbate without internet porn. Obviously, males have been able to do this, and females for since the dawn of time. Uh, we haven't been dependent on internet porn videos to masturbate until recent years in some situations so uh, the reason this test is important is because it, it rules out a, a few you know very important things if you cannot, well, first of all, if you can get an erection with porn easily, well, then that rules out cardiovascular disease. Right. So because you are
0: able to get an erection.
1: Right. You're able to get an erection. You know, a urologist will ask a young guy, can you masturbate? And they say yes. But what the urologist often doesn't realize, because there's a generational gap, is that that young guy is more than likely using internet porn every time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So really, he should ask, can you masturbate without porn? That's so right. when I realized I couldn't masturbate without porn, that's when my light bulb went off. And I I ran back into my room and turned on porn and I instantly got an erection. So the reason that's important is because Con, you know, commonly and frequently, you'll hear it heard that if a young guy has a erectile dysfunction, it's because performance anxiety, you know, if he's otherwise healthy, then the reason is probably lack of experience, or maybe he's nervous. Uh, he just has performance anxiety. But if you can't masturbate when it's just you and your hand on a nice, relaxing Sunday evening, that rules out performance anxiety, mm-hmm. because you're not nervous about what your hand thinks of your penis size or your sexual performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and if you can get an erection to porn, then you don't have a cardiovascular problem because simply looking at pixels doesn't magically right. make a disease go away. And so I realized, oh my gosh, I'm dependent on porn to function. And it couldn't have been any more clear. And so that's when I decided Darn to it. give up porn. <laughs> <laughs> that was when I decided to quit.
0: I really appreciate I mean, your story is very valuable because again, you know, you're not, most of the people I work with, you know, they're very functional life, but they have a lot of emotional damage. And you know, you're, that's not your experience. And so I guess, you know, one of the things that I, I worry about your community, this is where I get worried is it's the guy who really is a sex addict who really did have abuse or trauma. He goes there and he sees himself being just like all the other guys there because he started looking at porn at 12 and now he's got a problem, but he had really deep emotional damage. And so porn has a lot more meaning to him than simply a temporary pleasure. Right and then he can't get fixed on the solutions that are offered on the sites because his problem is deeper, longer lasting and probably more profound. How do you help or are you able to help him see that there are other avenues that he isn't a fa- that he didn't fail because he couldn't get it by working on your site?
1: Right. Yeah. So if, if you continue to struggle with quitting porn or you feel that, you know, the information provided to you is not enough because I myself am not a coach. I'm not a therapist. I'm simply sharing my story and the information that I have at hand. Um, I always encourage everyone to seek professional help if they, if they think that they may need it, or if they're having trouble going through the reboot program, if you will, even though there's not really a program, it's just see if you can go without porn. (laughs) So if, uh, yes, if, if someone's having a continued struggle with porn, use and they can't quite stay away or they think something else might be going on, I always encourage them to seek professional help because that is something that I'm not qualified to dive into. And, um, and like you said, a lot of times there's two different groups. There's, there's those that, uh, do have some kind of underlying pre-existing issue that drove them to chronically use porn, or maybe they developed it or had some kind of, uh, tra- traumatic experience during their porn use. Um,
0: or, or, or they could be very, have strong religious feelings and it's just such a big values conflict for them that, that the porn is just upsetting to them when they're using it and all of that.
1: Right. Yeah. And, um, so I encourage those people to seek professional help from people like yourself or any other, uh, therapist.
0: Well, here's what I'd recommend about you and me. A couple of things. Would you be willing to come back and do another podcast?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'd I'd love to. Okay, I could talk about this all
0: day. Well, I I have some more invitations to you because we have a live site called Sex and Relationship Healing. And I would love, I'm wanting to get, I'm doing drop-in groups. So we have a drop-in group for sex addicts and that's monitored every week of drop-in group for partners. And I'm going to put together a drop-in group for young guys struggling with porn. So we'll have to talk about whether you have an interest in maybe being the leader of that group and sort of facilitating it. I really want to bring your voice, Noah's voice, like whatever I can do to bring it into a larger space. And maybe we could write some articles together for clinical journals so that therapists can understand what they're dealing with? Yeah. In other words, I hope you have a long shelf life. That's what I'm asking.
1: (laughs) well I plan on never going anywhere and um, I myself am working on a book right now Excellent. and I've written I've written a couple articles here and there Good. and I'm not I, this is something that clearly is going to take a long time kind of if you look at mm-hmm. how the tobacco the tobacco fight you know the the mm-hmm. information of tobacco and nicotine's negative effects took decades to to reach you know common sense level common understanding and I think we're going to see the same thing happen with uh, internet porn and just the internet in general I mean there's there's now 49 neurological studies on internet porn's potential negative effects neurologically and there's over 300 internet addiction studies and even with all those uh, studies and the the amount of research we have it's still taking a long time for the you know the dsm and the icds to kind of get up to date with that so it's
0: well we 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 will have an icd-11 diagnosis for sexual compulsivity and you have to understand america has so many um, moral social ethical and all kinds of conflicts around sexuality that we're probably aware is going to be last with a diagnosis, unfortunately. Right. But we will get there. Tell me, Gabe, if people want to reach you, and I know they're going to get a hold of you, and I know they're going to want to find your site, how can they do that?
1: Uh, You can contact me through my website, RebootNation.org. You can sign up and message me. Uh, An easier way would be through Twitter. My handle is at Gabe Deem, just my name. And you can also contact me through my YouTube channel, uh, which is The Reboot Nation.
0: Excellent. And um, you they will find peer support, they'll find information, probably lots of those articles you talked about are listed on there.
1: Absolutely. Articles, uh, informational videos, and the most important thing is just encouragement, advice, and support through the recovery process. And it's also important to say we have a section for partners of uh, anyone going through a dysfunction or a, a porn addiction.
0: And I didn't ask you this, but I'm going to ask, uh, do you have a section on the site called For Professionals?
1: Uh, I do not. I have a section of other resources Uh where I I point people through professionals. And if you would like to be added to that, I would be happy to do so.
0: No, well, you should add me. Absolutely. But no, I was thinking more that if there's a spot on the site where professionals can learn from you, in other words, like this is a spot for professionals to read professional articles, to get professional information, Mm -hmm. that might be helpful because you, my friend, are a leader and I want as many people to find you as they can. So anyway, folks, this is Gabe Deem. He's doing, you know, I have to say, um, of course, there's lots of narcissists here for me because I remember being his age and being a solo voice out there talking about sex addiction. And it's not easy. And not everyone wants to talk to you or invite you into their church group. And uh, you know, not everyone necessarily wants to deal with this issue at all. But for a young man who has this kind of courage and drive, um, my hat's off to you, Gabe.
1: Thanks, Robin. I'm glad that you uh, invited me to share. I'm really thankful for the opportunity.
0: We're going to do more. Thank you, folks. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On seekingintegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at rob at seekingintegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.